All right, Romans chapter 11 today for the Romans Bible class. Romans chapter 11, verse number 1. I, I do believe maybe we can go through this whole chapter in one setting. I'm not sure that we can. I believe we can get it done in one class. So without delay, let's get into it. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, notice the connection here between chapter 9, chapter 10, and 11. Chapter 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Then chapter number 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Israel, see there again. verse uh, Chapter number 11, verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite. So I have heard some people say it when they read Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. He said that his heart's desire and prayer to God that uh, for Israel is that they might be saved. That Romans chapter 10, when you get down to verse 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, so forth and so on, that that's talking about some special salvation for Israel alone. And again, that's very interesting uh, considering the fact that Paul is the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's got, he has a charter from God. He has a mandate from God to deliver the gospel to the Gentiles specifically. And then at the same time in Romans chapter 10 itself, it says in verse number 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, that word whosoever represents uh, the statement in verse number 12 that says he's the same Lord over all. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all, Jew or Greek, that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the reference is to the dispensation of the grace of God in this day and time in which we live in, this dispensation of the grace of God that's given to Paul for us Gentiles is good for individual Israelites as well as it is good for individual Gentiles. So there's no question there. And as he deals with the ability for Israelites to be saved, just like a Gentile in verse number in chapter number nine and chapter number ten, then the the obvious conclusion of that chapter nine and ten is that God has not forsaken his people. I say then hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. And it's a very good illustration, because here's Paul, an individual Jew being saved by grace, and he is a recipient of the grace of God and of the gift of life, 
And it'd be very tempting for him after going through the book of Acts, the the storyline of the book of Acts ends with Paul saying, Hey, you Jews who consider yourself unworthy of this gospel that I'm preaching to you, and that's a strange way of putting it. Uh, Not only did they not think that they were unworthy of it, they flat out rejected it as something they definitely didn't need. Uh, not, Not so much as a matter of something that they were not worthy of. But their their unbelief had proved that they were uh, unworthy of it. And Paul was kind of jabbing them with that. He said, you consider yourself unworthy. He said, you, you've, basically what he's saying is you, you've proved yourself unworthy of it. But he's giving it to them in a, in a sarcastic sense. And he's telling them, you've considered yourself unworthy of these things, so we'll just go to the Gentiles. Well, it's, it's in the same sense here, he's talking about Elias, and I like the way he says it, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. The overwhelming normality of intercession in the Bible is making intercession for someone. I'm praying for this brother. I'm praying for this sister. I'm praying for Israel. I'm praying for the church. I'm making intercession on their behalf for them in a positive sense. Here, Elias is making intercession to God against Israel. He said, Lord, they've killed you prophets. They, they've digged down your altars. And I'm left alone. And they seek my life. They want to kill me. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. You better step up and help me. Uh, because if, if they kill me, I'll be gone. And you won't have no servants. Well, what saith the answer of God unto him? Verse 4, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So what you have going through the book of of Romans chapter 11 is you have uh, two chapters on Paul's uh, desire for them to be saved, so much so that he said, I could wish that myself would be a curse from Christ in order for them to to be saved, for them to be reconciled. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10 rather, excuse me, chapter Uh, 9 is the extent of his desire chapter 10 is the the means that could perform what he desires to be done their salvation and then verse number 11 is uh, is an assurance that god is not finished with them at the beginning of the chapter it's simply stating that god has not cast away his people and Pardon me. I have heard it said that uh, that well, this is just saying for individual. Paul himself is an individual Jew, and that God is done with the nation of Israel. God is done with Israel in the national sense. Only now he's dealing with individuals, and any individual in Israel can be saved. But God is done with with uh, Israel as a nation. Well, if it if the verse num if the verse ended in uh, pardon me once more, if the chapter ended in verse five, you might could logically draw that conclusion. But the first four, five, six verses says that he hadn't he hasn't cast away his people. But the the chapter continues, and it says, uh, verse number 5, Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Just as there was an election, just as though in Elijah's day, just as though in Elias' day, there was a group of people who still believed, 
on God in Israel. Just as in that day, God is saying to Paul that there is still a remnant. There is still a remnant in Israel that I'm going to deal with. And he says that, uh, again, let me read verse 5. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which she seeketh for. There are individual Jews that are being saved. They haven't come uh, they haven't come to the conclusion that they were looking for. They were looking for national revival. They were looking for a king. The question for Jesus by his disciples was, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Not now. And at the end of his ministry, are you going to restore the kingdom now? It's not for you to know the times or seasons. So there, it, it, the Lord didn't say he wasn't going to restore the kingdom. And the kingdom is definitely the kingdom of Israel. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven ruled over by God, ruled over by Christ. And uh, in a national sense, a real and true national sense there is no way you can read Matthew Mark Luke and John in the book of Acts and not see an expectation of the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to to redeem Israel to perfect Israel to be a blessing to Israel to for uh, to meet the full assurance of the promises given to Abraham as a leader of a not just many nations, but one particular great nation of Israel. There is no way that you can miss those assurances and those implications reading through the Old Testament or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is God's intention. So Israel has not obtained that which she seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. Paul and different ones, the disciples, and and many people in Israel believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, the rest were blinded. That's the little phrase in verse number 7. And that's such an important phrase. And the rest were blinded. Look at those three words and remember it for the rest of the chapter. And the rest. There's an election of grace. A certain group of Israelites, believers, that we're not talking about some unnamed election here. God has selected, and I wish you would remember that word select every time you read the word elect. I'm not saying they're identical words, but the word select is a great defining word for the word elect. Those who were chosen before the foundation of the world to be recipients of the grace of God through the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. There is that election is a select group of men and women, whether they be man, woman, boy, or girl, makes no difference. But it's a select group of men, and that that realm, that selection, that group, that election of people are people who believe on Christ. Now he said, the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And the rest is national Israel. Physical Jews. The Bible talks about spiritual Jews, which is not a, uh, which is not a reference to a Christian at all. A, a, a spiritual Jew is one that is a Jew inwardly. 
and in the body of Christ in the church age, in the church, which is his body, there is no Jews or or Gentiles. There are only saved sons of God. Sons, not Jews, not Gentiles, not males, not females. There are there are no tribes, as in Revelation chapter 7. In Christ, there are sons. He came into his own Israel. His own Israel believed him not. Uh, received him not. Pardon me. He came into his own His own received him not, but as many as received him, this election here, this election according to grace, or this election of grace, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons, the sons of God. So it's a different group of folks. He says, What then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, sonship, and the rest were blinded. This physical Israel. Now these spiritual Jews that people try to make themselves, Christians try to make themselves (coughs) into spiritual Jews. But he says that spiritual Jew is a Jew that is a Jew inwardly. He's a Jew in his heart. He's like David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's not just a Pharisee who has taken God's principles and ascribed them to his own principles taking God's law and pretended it was his own law and his own righteousness and his own goodness and proclaimed that such as a Pharisee would. But when the Lord meets those, he says, are you a master in Israel and don't know these things that I'm talking to you about? In other words, you're dealing with two different things completely. There's a physical Jew who has great promise in Abraham. There's a spiritual Jew, which is a Jew after God's own heart, which is a man that believes God. He's not just receiving the benefits of the faith of Abraham. He's also believing he's receiving the benefits of his own belief, such as David, to whom God said he would show the sure mercies of David. Though he was an adulterer, though he was a murderer, though he was worthy of death God gave him sure mercies because he was a spiritual Jew he was a Jew inwardly not just outwardly now on the other hand you have you have men who are are the physical circumcised seed of Abraham they are they are recipients of the covenant they have the sign of circumcision when God sees that circumcision he may see only a physical Jew. He may see somebody in whom is no faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. But Abraham had the faith that pleased God for that physical Jew. God is not blessing the Jew because of Isaac, not because of Jacob, not because of Jacob's 12 sons. God is blessing Israel because of the faith of Abraham. That is made very clear in Romans chapter 4. So God will keep his promise to those physical Jews. A man believes in Christ who is a Jew. He can be a recipient of this great grace. Which verse number 5 calls the election of grace. And if by grace then it is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. 
But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You cannot mix the Old Testament and the New Testament. You cannot mix the covenant of Abraham. You cannot mix the the law of Moses. You can't mix any of those covenants with the covenant of grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ ministered through the gospel of His Son. If you are a believer in the gospel, you will be made a son of God. If you are a son of Abraham, circumcised, and you carry that seal of the circumcision of the faith that Abraham had in God, then you will be a recipient of God's grace at a later date. Just as you find in the New Testament that the sons of Adam before the flood who were disobedient in the days of Mo, uh, in the days of Noah received preaching from the Lord Jesus Christ himself at a later date though they paid very desperately and very grievously uh, for their unbelief in the days of their life just as Israelites today are paying a very heavy price for the unbelief which they have in their life. Thankfully for them, they have the covenant of Abraham which is protecting them for a future day. And that's what we'll see. Now notice verse 7 again, the last phrase, and the rest were blinded. Remember that statement, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, verse 8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. I like to go back and read, uh, when I see a parenthesis, I like to go back and read the statement without the parenthesis. Uh, the parenthesis and all the words that are contained within it give you extra light, they give you insight into what he's talking about in many cases. But the statement without the parenthesis is the main statement of whatever scripture you happen to read or whatever book you happen to be reading. Uh, Of course, this isn't an English class, so we'll move on. I assume that you know those things already. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. The table, their blessings, their provisions, everything that they have, the abundance of their table. He says, Let that be, they'll think that's their blessing, but make it be a snare and a stumbling block. And God will use those things to to keep them blinded. Verse number 10, Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Looks pretty grim. Looks like a lot of grief contained there. And it certainly is. It is grim. There is a lot of grief connected with that. But look at verse number 11. And the, the, the idea that you may have got between verse 5 and verse 10. That God has all done with them as a nation, as a people. And that God has turned only to individuals for the rest of eternity will be made obsolete. That idea will be made obsolete from verse 11 on. I say then, have they stumbled? Have they? Who is they? And that word they in verse 11 is a reference to that last phrase in verse 7, and the rest were blinded. Okay, they were blinded, verse 10. Their eyes are darkened uh, that they may not see. Bow down their back always. That's the ones who were blinded. I say then, have they, the ones that were blinded, stumbled? That they should fall. 
And there's no question that he's talking about a permanent, everlasting fall. God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. God used the unbelief of that Jew. God used the unbelief of the physical Israelite to offer salvation to you and I as Gentiles. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. And so in one sense, God gives you blessing through their unbelief. And at the other, and at the, on the other side of the coin, while God's blessing you for their unbelief, God is making them jealous because God is now dealing with you. He was the God of the Jew. He was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac. He was the God of Jacob. And they counted themselves by their actions, maybe not by their brainwaves, but by their actions, they counted that privilege as something to be uh, mocked or something to be made light of. And so God turned over and started being good to the Gentiles. You don't want me to be good to you. You don't want me to fulfill my promises to you. I'll give those, I'll give those blessings and, and many blessings to this Gentile. And the Bible says it provoked them to jealousy. So it's a twofold, it's a twofold. Uh, response to their unbelief that number one I go to the Gentiles as Paul says number two I'll make you jealous you don't want me to bless you I'll bless somebody else and so that's very true verse very true now you can talk about replacement theology all you want to but this is what the Bible says I say then have they stumbled that they should fall that's a, that's a question that's regards the rest of eternity. They have stumbled. No question about that. They've been blinded. No question about that. Their eyes have been darkened. No question about that. But as far as that goes, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that God had blinded their minds from the gospel. God had hid the gospel from them uh, until the time that it should be revealed in Paul's day. And so it's not just that they're blind now. It's that when the Old Testament prophets were prophesying of the, uh, the, the gospel, when the, when the things that God commanded to be done in the sanctuary, in the temple, in the tabernacle, were pointing to a time when the lamb would be slain. The, all of those things preached, but the Israelite was blind to that preaching, even in the Old Testament. And many people say in the Old Testament they were saved by looking forward to the cross, when that's, in, that's an impossibility because they were blind to it. When Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to die, they said, no, you're not. We're going to take you and make you a king right now. Well, they, the Lord said, you know, I'm going to go basically, and of course, so I'm paraphrasing, but basically and simply the summary of the matter is, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. No, sir, we'll fight for you. If they were looking forward to the cross, they had a strange way of showing it. They weren't looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward to a king. They were blinded to the cross. The Old Testament prophets couldn't see it, and even the angels desired to look into the things that were written by the prophets. They didn't understand what was going to happen because they were blinded, just as they're blinded now. And through that blindness, through their fall, the Gentiles get in on a great thing. Plus, God provokes them to jealousy. You should have not, you should have not, to Israel, God says, you should have not uh, 
complained in the wilderness. You should have not doubted when Caleb and Joshua said you could whoop them giants. You should have not doubted when I said destroy the Philistines and all these other Canaanite nations. You should have just believed me the whole time. And you should have believed when I walked in your streets and healed your sick. You should have believed me. Now you don't believe me. Now you don't want these blessings. I'll go to the Gentile. I have mercy on them and I'll provoke you to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their foolishness. I think of uh, Romans chapter 15 now. It says in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. He came into his own for the truth of God. He showed up and told them the truth. They didn't believe it. To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. But they didn't believe it. Because they were blind to it. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That was the ministry of Jesus Christ. To confirm the promises made to the fathers, which they rejected. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Then verse number 16, the ministry of Paul. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Back to verse chapter number 11, verse number uh, 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. He's saying one of the reasons I magnify the fact that I am a minister to the Gentiles, he said, so I can provoke some of these Jews to uh, emulation. Hey, Paul is such a uh, trained man. He was such a zealous man for God after the ways of the law of Moses. Now he's preaching Jesus. Uh, Paul's saying, uh, well, I magnify my office. I, I go around telling people, hey, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, that magnifies that office in such a way that he's hoping that some of them will be provoked over to seeing the truth of the matter. And certainly it did work in many cases, I assume. And if you read the book of Acts, you don't have to assume very much. You can see Jews, some Jews believing and some rejecting what he had to say. But look what he says here. And he says, provoke them, uh, provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, natural Israelites, and might save some of them. Now look, verse 15, very closely. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Can you not see the restoration of Israel to the ones that are not just individuals that are saved in this dispensation in which we live now. But can you not see that this verse is saying. God cast them away. God allowed them to be bowed down. God allowed their backs to be bent. Their mouth to be. Uh, to, to, to be. Uh, as he says in verse number. Uh, verse number 10. Let their eyes be darkened. That they may not see. And bow down their back always. He allowed that. For the reconciling of the world. But then he says, what shall the receiving of them be? Well, what do you mean receiving of them be if they're never going to be received again as, a, as a, the nation of God, the people of God? Sure, surely and certainly they will be restored. He said if the casting away of them was, was your deliverance as Gentiles, 
Well, if that's if it was such a blessing to the world that the Jews should be blinded for a season, what kind of blessing do you think you're going to receive when God actually brings them back to life? He says, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now this brings up again another illustration when he mentions those branches. He says if some of the branches be broken off, God took away that physical Jew, and thou, the Gentile, and thou being a wild olive tree, were graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, you hooked into the same source of oil, that fresh oil. That, uh, that's no question a typology of the Holy Spirit. Boast not against the branches. Well, they were unbelievers, so, and I was a believer, so I've taken their place. No, don't boast against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. You have nothing to boast about. If you're a branch on a tree, you have nothing to boast about. If the root dried up, you would die. The branch does not give the root life. The root gives the branch life. You just, I don't know if you understand all that or not. We're not having a botany class, but give it some thought. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. God got rid of them so he could put me in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. That kind of pride that says, well, they didn't believe, and I believe, so God's now uh, elevated me and promoted me, and he's all done with them. Be careful, he says, because if he got rid of the original branches, he can get rid of you. Behold, therefore, the goodness one side of the coin, and severity, another side of the coin. Two sides, that's a great balance. Don't forget either side. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fail, severity. Who, fa- who, who are the ones that fail? Verse number, verse number 7, the last phrase, and the rest were blinded. Those are the ones we're talking about now. He says, if thou continue in his goodness... Otherwise, thou also should be cut off. I believe I skipped a little portion of verse 22. Let's go back and read it again. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. Now, he's not just talking about to an individual here. He's talking about to all the Gentiles, which God sent out these preachers, which God sent out the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You can now, you other parts of the world, you can now be grafted in. But don't be high-minded against that original branch because God can take you right back out and replace them in your place. Now, and, and we're not talking about your place as an individual. We're talking about your place as a national standing. The Jew been put on the shelf. The Gentile's been allowed to be grafted in. The Lord can take that Jew back off the shelf. Let's see if he will or not. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, 
shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? If it's possible to take a branch that doesn't belong in a tree and graft it in, then how difficult do you think it would be for God the supreme botanist of this universe, how, do you, how would you think that it would be impossible for him to take the original branches, the, the natural branches, the branches that belong in the tree, and put it back in? If he can put in a foreign branch, surely he can put in the natural branch. There's no question about that. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Now listen. Verse 25 cannot be debated in regards to the restoration, the redemption of Israel. I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until. That word until means there is a definite end date on the blindness of Israel. They're, they're blind in part. And this blindness is going to last until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When God is finished dealing with those wild olive branches, those Gentile dogs as they're referred to in the Holy Scripture, when God's finished showing them His mercy, He is going to turn around and put the natural branches back into the tree until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so... All Israel shall be saved. Now, all you have to do at this point is decide if you believe that or not. You can try to reason it away and explain it away. And you can make every excuse in the world why all doesn't mean all. You can give me the all without exception argument and all this kind of stuff you want to do. But the Bible says in regards to Israel, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out a sign the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from the spiritual Jews. Absolutely not. From J-A-C-O-B, the supplanter, physical, carnal Jew, who is a son of Abraham, to whom God made the promise, when I see that sign of circumcision, I'll remember the covenant between you and me, and I will bless them, and multiply them beyond the beyond the stars in the sky, beyond the, the, the grains of sand on the sea. That's what God promised Abraham for his faith. Not for the, uh, God isn't going to change his promise to faithful Abraham because of unfaithful Pharisees. No more than he's going to cast away his uh, unfaithful, believers in the church of Laodicea if you're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint considering Revelation chapter number 3 God is not going to cast his physical hard-headed Pharisees away and make light of his promises to Abraham any more than he's going to cast you and I away and forget his covenant with Christ on the cross it's the same principle. It's the same mindset as far as God is concerned. It's the same promise. It's an imputed righteousness for another's sake. We are not going to heaven by our works.
We are not saved or born again by our works. And the covenant of Abraham is not good because of the works of Israel. The covenant of Abraham is still good today because of the faith of Abraham. And that is the dividing line when somebody says, how were they saved in the Old Testament? And are they saved the same in the Old Testament as they are in the New Testament? That is the dividing line. In the Old Testament, men have favor with God because of his promise to Abraham. Just as in the New Testament, men have favor with God through the righteousness of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. It is, it is the same principle. It is the same type of covenant. It is the dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament dealing of God with his people. Verse number 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them. When I shall take away their sins. And concerning the gospel. They are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election. They are beloved for the father's sakes. They are enemies and beloved at the same time. We've already read the purpose of that earlier in the chapter. God's going to use their enemy status to provoke them to jealousy and to give grace and mercy to the Gentiles. And they're beloved for the Father's sake because he has a covenant with Abraham. Go back and read Romans chapter 4 if you need to. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God does not repent once he calls a man and gives him gifts. God's not a repenter in that in that in those instances. It's a great it's a great verse in context for the continuing mercies of God on unbelieving Israel and in in a more spiritual context it's a great verse for eternal security and a man's calling not being revoked because of his failures in life. Different study perhaps for a different time but uh with that thought, you can run with it and pray about it. Verse 30, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Again, he's not talking to individuals here, but to the Gentiles as a whole. For as ye, the Gentiles, in this case it happens to be Gentiles believers that he's talking to. But this is a doctrinal issue that goes well beyond just talking to individual believers. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God's people was was a specific thing in the Old Testament. God's people were the Jews. If you were a Gentile, you had to join yourself to God's people. Uh, you were considered a stranger, but you could come in and join yourself to them and, and be made like to one of them. But in, the, in this sense, God has sent his mercy out to you so that you being a Gentile could be, could be placed into this olive tree uh, by the merit of God's grace and goodness. And of course, that grace and goodness was bought by the righteous life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ in your place. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Confused about the things in this chapter and the preceding two chapters. 
to join the club. It's a very great mystery. It's a very great doctrine. It's a very deep doctrine. I don't believe you can cover it all in one class. Our classes are supposed to be 30 minutes long. We're 10 minutes over on this one. But I believe this thing taken together and at one shot, this chapter is a very great chapter for you to study and learn many things. Uh, many things beyond just the the past and future status of the nation of Israel. Many things in this chapter uh, besides that. But at any rate, verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? <laughs> uh, nobody. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This is a great uh, conclusion of the chapter. It simply says, it says uh, deep knowledge. He says this is deep. He says the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God has made this great complex system of covenants and sacrifices and imputed righteousness and and individual accounts and national accounts and he's tied it up so thoroughly together that one explains the other and the other explains the one and and you've you've got such a complex system of rules and regulations and principles and mercies and graces and goodnesses and long sufferings that uh, if if taken just one at a time you would think that surely Every man would come short of it and there would be no man worthy and you would be true and right about that. But at the same time, the explanation of the matters give you a perfect picture of what God was doing in the Old Testament. How his long suffering was at, was at work even when he was bringing judgment. How that when he was being uh, merciful to one, he brought judgment on another, and vice versa. And how that when he made a covenant with one, when and and had mercy on one, when it seemed like they deserved all the punishment in the world, that he was doing things just to paint a great picture of his righteousness and his goodness. And and when a man just looks at one issue and and becomes a judge of it, or tries to become the master of it, he runs into another doctrine that seems to contradict that and a man has to go back and forth and and learn two separate sides of the coin at the same time that sometimes look like they're in disagreement with one another but when you see everything in its place everything in its time to everything there is a season when you see these things taken hand in hand and how the grace of God and the severity of God at the same time are working and while God's being very harsh to one people he's being merciful to another and when God's not being mindful of all at all of one group of people when God is not being mindful at all of one group of people he's taking uh, every thought imaginable for their welfare, for their future, in his dealings with the people that he is mindful of at that point in time. Well, you might have to rewind that a couple of times, but I believe I said it exactly as it should have been said. But when you can imagine that God dealing with one nation is taking forethought and future provision for those that he seems to have no thought for whatsoever, as in the Old Testament, dealing with the Jew, and seemingly not being mindful of that Gentile at all, 
It's just, it's mind-boggling. And in that sense, Paul's saying, Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Uh, Many people I've heard try to be God's counselor. They, They read the Old Testament and see God destroying the Canaanite out of the land, destroying man, woman, child, uh, sending the flood on Noah's day and, and and drowning out everybody. Oh God, he shouldn't have done that. A loving God, a merciful God wouldn't do that. Not knowing at all that God was going to give them an opportunity and that God was going to help them and to turn his back on Israel, uh, to turn his back on his own son, that he might be merciful to Israel, who had been hard-headed and stiff-necked. It's the greatest conclusion to a chapter that you'll ever read, because it's absolutely true. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. You may not understand it, but give him glory. And I believe the more glory that you give him, the more understanding that he'll give you. Amen. That's a fitting end to the chapter. Amen. I recommend you respond just that way. Amen. We'll see you again in chapter number 12 and verse 1.